Let's turn to our sermon text for today then, Genesis chapter 11, verse 10. If you're using the sermon insert, the text is there as well, although it's smaller type than usual because it's a longer passage. Uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 10, through chapter 12, verse 9. These are the the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arpachshad two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered Arpachshad 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arpachshad had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah. And Arpachshad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. And Shelah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. And Eber lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Ru. And Peleg lived after he fathered Ru 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Ru had lived 32 years, he fathered Serug. And Ru lived after he fathered Serug 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sarug had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor, and Sarug lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah, and Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran lived in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, And Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing." I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. 
And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. Lord God, we thank you for this example and this, these promises and for the treasure that you have for us of comfort and hope in your word. We pray that you would give uh, us direction to help us to receive this uh, and to receive it by faith, even as Abram did when he received your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage here, uh, Genesis 11.10 through 12.9, it's a very pivotal passage in the book of Genesis. Uh, One of the most important, I would say, in the book of Genesis. It links the first part of Genesis, which tells the primeval history of mankind, the the first period of man's history, looking at mankind as a whole, and his creation and fall, and the beginnings of the gospel, of course, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. It links that to the second part of the book, which is going to narrow in on the history of Abram, later called Abraham, and his offspring, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Joseph, and his brothers. And it links the two together. And so, uh, chapter 12, verse 1 through 3 is perhaps the the key of the key, uh, the, the important passage in which we're going to examine the rest of the book of Genesis. We're going to find these themes laid out throughout the narrative, then, of the lives of these people. Uh, But the genealogies that go before it give us important background, important context. What does it mean, the land of his kindred? What what country is he supposed to go out of? Uh, What's the context that this comes into? And so I want to make a few preliminary points on the genealogies of chapter 11, and then uh, to look at the first three verses of chapter 12 in particular, those being the main points, and then look at Abram's response. But first, a few brief points on the genealogies of chapter 11. First, they serve to connect Shem to Abram. These are the generations of Shem, is how it begins. They link the promises concerning Shem to Abram. Remember, what Noah had said concerning Shem and his brothers. As Shem's tents would prove a blessing to those who dwelt in them, like Japheth, so Abram would prove a blessing to the nations. It would be through Abram that these promises would be fulfilled. As Shem's offspring would rule over Canaan, so it was Abram's offspring that would rule and dispossess the Canaanites in time. As God is the God of Shem, so God would be the God of Abram. And as Noah and Shem were blessed, so God would bless Abram. So these genealogies connect the two, that this is how God is fulfilling his promises that he's already delivered. The second point is that these genealogies confirm the historicity of the first 11 chapters. Genesis is not composed of a number of myths and legends and parables And then you get down to the real history when you get to Abram. Uh, But rather, these genealogies are connecting what came before as a historical narrative by links of genealogy to the history that follows. These are not 
you know, stories that are hanging in midair, but historical narratives linked by uh, genealogy to the later narratives. It's all the same genre of historical narrative, even if the scope or the focus uh, begins to narrow on Abram and his offspring. It's continuing the same story, in other words, the same narrative. The third point is that these genealogies show how the generations overlapped, uh, with the lifespans getting shorter indeed, but still, especially the earlier ones, having lifespans much longer than we enjoy today. This made it easier for the population to quickly grow. It also would have helped information to be preserved and passed on from one generation to the next. For example, not that these people necessarily met each other, but they could have. Adam overlapped with Methuselah. Methuselah overlapped with Shem. And Shem overlapped with Abram. And so the the generations overlapped quite a bit. And so even though mankind, even Abram's own family before his call, they had uh, fallen into idolatry, uh, the Tower of Babel being a great manifestation of their rebellion, but as Joshua will say, your fathers worshipped idols on the other sides of the river. Even the line of Shem had begun to fall away into apostasy. But during that time, God still had his remnant, even if it was only Shem and Japheth. They would have lived long enough to be a faithful remnant during this period of time. Now, we'll find others like Melchizedek, who also worshipped uh, the true God, but the uh, length of these generations also explains, at least in part, uh, the fact that God had a remnant even at this time before Abram's call. Fourth point that the genealogies describe how Abram began. He began in the city of Ur, Ur the Chaldeans. This was the land of their kindred, as verse 27 says. Uh, now, Acts 7, in the New Testament, Stephen's speech makes it clear that God called Abram while he was still in Ur. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Ur is uh, probably the city that was found by archaeologists in what is now southern Iraq, uh, what was along the coast at the time, although it's not along the coast anymore. And it's, at the time of Abram was the great city of that age. It's estimated, in fact, that it was perhaps the largest city on earth at that time. Um, around the time or shortly after Abram left, around or a little bit before 2000 BC. Archaeologists have confirmed that it was a wealthy city and that the citizens enjoyed a level of comfort unknown in other Mesopotamian cities. Uh, It was the place where people were going, not the place the people were typically uh, leaving at the time. And the city was especially devoted to the moon god, uh, Nana, And they built a great ziggurat with his temple at the top. That's perhaps one of those false gods that they were uh, worshipping, as as Joshua mentions. Now, as a side note, the Chaldeans would not really form a people and a people in that region until like a thousand years later. So the phrase of the Chaldeans is probably a clarification from a later inspired scribe or prophet to uh, tell people later on that this is the Ur that we're talking about. Or the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans who lived, uh, would be known for living in basically what's now southern Iraq. And so they start there in Ur. And who are they? These genealogies, the fifth point here, they introduce us to the clan of Terah. Uh, Terah had three sons. Uh, 
Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This would be a very important family. Abram would be the father of Ishmael and Isaac. Um, Nahor would be the father of 12 sons and the grandfather of Rebekah and the great-grandfather of Rachel and Leah. So a lot of the characters in Genesis are all going to come from this family. Um, Haran uh, died in Ur. This was Abram's brother. And he was the father of Lot, uh, who in turn was the father of Moab and Ammon, you know, who are from whom nations that were around Israel would come from. And so the clan of Terah is going to be a very important part of the history of God's people and the surrounding peoples. And so this is important background, uh, recounts this genealogy to place us now in this setting, and it also says that Terah took his household from Ur to go to Canaan, uh, but he settled on Haran on the way. Haran was also a city at this time, you know, archaeologists can uh, tell you about it. It's um, Nor- on the northern end of the Fertile Crescent, the Fertile Crescent would be like Mesopotamia, Tyrus, Euphrates, where Iraq is, and then up through Syria and down through the land of Canaan to Egypt. This would be actually just along the southern border of Turkey. Uh, that would be its place uh, today. Uh, it was on the route, and they settled there outside of that city, uh, what was called then Aram. There, Terah died at the age of 205. But chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, is going to explain why they left Ur and why Abram would continue the journey and leave his brother Nahor and leave Haran. In chapter 12, it begins by saying, Now the Lord said to Abram, it could also be translated, the Lord had said to Abram. Uh, It's not necessarily saying that it was said after Abram leaves Haran. I mean, after his father died. I think, uh, now the Lord had said, makes better sense, and it seems to be how Stephen understood it. Let me read from Acts 7, 2 through 4, uh, to see the way he pieces these events together, how he reads the text. He's probably a good uh, interpreter of Genesis. Stephen said, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Um, Now, since Abram was 75 when he left Haran, he was probably born when Terah was 130. It does say that you know, uh, in the genealogies, when Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered these three sons. It doesn't mean they were triplets, that they were all born in the same year, just that he began having children at the age of 70. And Abram is probably listed first because he's the most important. We see something similar with Noah's age and his three sons in chapter 5, verse 32. It's somewhat beyond the, beside the point. It's not the most important part of this passage, but I bring it up because if you start looking at it closely, you wonder, how do these things fit together? Uh, That seems to be the order of events. But now to the main points. What happens? Uh, They are living in Mesopotamia. They're worshiping false gods. There are promises that God had made uh, through Noah, but the world seems to be getting darker and darker yet again. People have wandered away from the true God, are worshiping idols, are worshiping the moon and the sun. 
But God intervenes. He calls Abram. In verse 1, we find that God calls Abram. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. This is a call and command, a summons. Abram is summoned to go out and go where God leads. God doesn't tell him where he's going first. He just says that there is land that God is for him. And he tells Abram to do something, to go, to leave. It is not only a command, though, it's a test of faith. Abram will need to trust the Lord uh, to do this. Uh, Will he trust the Lord? Leave behind the security that he has among his kindred and his land uh, and the wealth there? Or will he trust the Lord instead? It's not going to be the last test of faith, but faith is going to be something important in his life. And as a test of faith, this call is a condition If Abram goes by faith, he will receive the problem, the promises that will follow. God says, go, I will bless you. I will do this. I will do that. Uh, But these are all conditioned upon Abram's faith. Will he go and follow the Lord and receive these blessings? Not only that, it's also an implicit promise of land. The first promise listed. The Lord promises land and inheritance Uh, to be his own, uh, to be a place that he will have from God. And so Abram was told to go out and follow the Lord, to trust him for his inheritance. He was to count the Lord's blessing greater treasure than all the wealth of Ur, to count all his loss and abandon his country and kindred and support, and to cast himself upon the Lord. He was summoned to exercise faith in the Lord, to act on that faith with firm resolve and to be a pilgrim journeying to the promised land, as Israel itself would have to do many generations later. Likewise, God still calls sinners to himself today. The call here for Abram is not just for Abram, but for his children as well. God, as he chose Abram, an idolater, for no merit of his own, So God sets his favor upon sinners and calls them to repent and follow him. He calls sinners by the gospel. He calls his elect effectually by sending that gospel with the spirit and power and applying it in the heart. But God calls sinners to himself, calls them out of the world, calls them out of condemnation and darkness and idolatry, and calls them to follow him and to be blessed by him. God still tells you to trust him, to place your faith in him. He tests that faith. He exercises that faith through trials. Faith is still the condition of the covenant of grace. Those who place their faith in Christ will receive his benefits and his blessings. And the Lord still promises his people an inheritance, the land. The land of Canaan was a down payment a beginning. It was a symbol of the whole earth and of the kingdom of God. And through Jesus Christ, the chief offspring of Abram, we shall inherit it. Now, why do I say all of this? Uh, I didn't make it up. Uh, Romans 4.13 says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Jesus told his disciples that the meek would inherit the earth. The spiritual conquest of the earth is ongoing as the kingdom of God comes. We're also told 
not only do we have uh, the beginning of an inheritance in this life, but that we have an everlasting inheritance that is yet to come, that is laid up for us, that is imperishable. Even Abram looked to an enduring inheritance from God, as Hebrews 11 says, a better country, a heavenly one, that God would remain the God of Abram even after his death. And so we look with hope to heaven after death, a home with God, and to the new heavens and the new earth after the resurrection in the age to come. Let us follow the Lord, and he will provide a land for us, an inheritance, a lasting place in which God will dwell with us. Entrust yourself to him and resolve to follow him wherever he leads into the unknown, knowing that he will care for you. So God called Abram, God also calls you. The second point is found in verse 2. God promised to bless Abram. God promised to make Abram uh, a great nation, to bless him, and to make his name great. We find that in verse 2. These are ways that God would bless Abram. He promised to make Abram a great nation. Now, his wife, Sarah, was already uh, barren. That's mentioned already. But God promised offspring, abundant offspring. He would become the father of a great nation. It turns out a holy nation, God's covenant people, the people of Israel. God would make them into a great nation. And as the New Testament makes plain, this great and holy nation is the whole church, which is now Jew and Gentile, as Paul said in Galatians. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. That's going to be relevant for all of these promises, right? These are promises we inherit, we who are in Jesus Christ, the chief, the preeminent offspring of Abraham. Now, God remains faithful to his promise to make this people, this nation, great. Which people? Which nation? The, the, the family of Abraham, the church of Jesus Christ. Does the church seem barren at times? Does the church seem like Sarah at times? It seems like, where, where are these children going to come from? Uh, people don't seem to be coming to faith. It seems to be shrinking or seems to be in disrepair. But God shall revive his church. He will make his nation great by his supernatural power. If you get discouraged by the state of the church, remember how far we have come by God's grace since Abram's day. Where there were the two of them. And now there are a vast multitude and nations throughout the world. God will continue to be faithful to make this nation great. So rest in God's promise. God promises to bless Abram. He would bless him like he had blessed Adam, like he had blessed Noah, even though mankind was cursed because of his sin. Yet by grace, God would restore him and bless him. Likewise, God promises to bless believers. Despite their sins that call out for judgment and for curse, God will bless. He holds out to sinners the promise of forgiveness, of favor, of fellowship, that God would walk among us and be with us to save us. And again, it's through Jesus Christ, the offspring of Abram, that God will bless those who are offspring of Abram through faith. Christ has taken upon himself the curse, the curse of the law, so that you might be blessed by God along with faithful and believing Abram. So rest in the promise. God, plom- God promises to bless you.
and God promised to make Abram's name great. Note the contrast with Babel. What had they had tried what had they tried to do at Babel? What was their fear that they would be scattered? What is Abram called to do? To scatter, uh, to go. And yet the people of Babel sought to make their name great. Let us make a name for ourselves and build this tower to the heavens. They ironically got a name, a name of disgrace, of confusion. But in Genesis 12, God tells Abram, I will bless you and make your name great. Enduring glory is not achieved by rebellion through autonomous human achievement, but by God's grace and through humble faith. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And again, it is through the offspring of Abram, Jesus Christ, who has received all glory in the highest heavens. His name has been made great above all names, and he is making his name great in the earth. And he honors his saints with him, and shall make their name great with his, and shall glorify believers with everlasting glory at his return. So even if you are scattered, even if you are despised or persecuted, or if you're simply obscure and forgotten, and a few generations later you might just be a a name on someone's genealogy, yet the Lord Jesus shall confess your name, and he shall raise it up with his, and confess it on the last day, and he will make your name great. And so God promises to bless Abram and his offspring, to bless them. The third point is found in verse 3. God promised to make Abram a blessing to the world. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram is not only blessed for his own sake, but also to be a blessing to others. He and his children have a mission in this world. They are prepared by God for that mission. There's three parts to this, this blessing to the world. First, actually, at the end of verse 2, he had said that God had said that he would bless Abram so that you will be a blessing. That's how verse 2 ends. Then God promised to bless those who blessed Abram and the one who dishonors him, he would curse. Notice that they're not symmetrical here. There would be many people who would bless Abram, and they will be blessed. There might be one who dishonors him, and he will be cursed. But he would still have some enemies, and those who dishonor him are not going to have to go very far in Genesis to find this happen. But God will make his friends his friend. Abram's friends, God's friends. And Abram's enemies, his enemies. He's going to align himself, ally himself with Abram, and Abram with God. And then God promises to bless all the families, or, or the clans. Uh, it's kind of a, a bigger word than family, nuclear family, like we might think, uh, between a father's house and a tribe. But to bless all the clans of the earth through Abram. Uh, later, same promise is going to be given using the word nation, all the nations of the earth through Abram. Not only will all the clans and nations of the earth have the opportunity to be blessed, but they in fact will be blessed through him. Not every individual, there will be the one who dishonors him who will be cursed, but every family, every uh, tribe, every tongue, every nation will be blessed through Abram and his offspring. 
Now, how is that fulfilled? Did, did Abram, was he able to travel to all the nations and all the families? Was, was he able to do that in his lifetime? No, it's going to be clear throughout the account that it's not only through him, but through his offspring, and especially through his offspring, Jesus Christ, the preeminent son of Abram. And they are fulfilled through Jesus Christ. They are also inherited by those who are in Christ, like all these other promises. Through Christ, God makes you a blessing to others. And by his grace, you become the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Your witness by your word and your deed uh, to the gospel is the means of their salvation. And by his grace, you know, your, your malice and envy and sloth and immorality is replaced by a life of love and peace and good deeds, doing good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. So you become a blessing and not a curse to your neighbor. God makes his people an instrument of good in the world, a blessing to others. Temporal blessing, you know, helping them out with things of this life, and spiritual blessing, bringing them salvation as an instrument of his grace. So God makes you a blessing as he made Abram a blessing through Jesus Christ, who is a blessing. As he Bless those who blessed Abram and curse the one who dishonors him. So God blesses those who bless Christ and his disciples and curses those who dishonor Christ and his disciples. This promise does not mean that God will bless you if you donate time and money to the modern nation of Israel. That's how some people uh, interpret this. They'll go to Israel and make sure to spend a lot of money so that God will bless them. Um, That's not really the point of this promise. Unbelieving Jews are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, as Paul says. You should respect them and seek their salvation. But like all the promises to Abram, the promise is inherited by those who share the faith of Abram, those who are united to Jesus Christ. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus makes it clear that God blesses and curses based on whether a person receives or rejects Jesus. And that's made evident often by how one treats his messengers and his disciples. Jesus said things in the Gospels like, Inherit the kingdom, for I was hungry and you gave me food. Your your destiny is based on how you treated Jesus. And then he would say, "As As you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. He would also say, Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And he would also say, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. That's true in history. It's true in the day of judgment. When Saul persecuted the saints, Jesus took it personally. Why are you persecuting me? And he humbled Saul, although it was for his good in his case. When Herod killed the the Apostle James and put the Apostle Peter in prison, like we saw last week, God struck him dead. When Jerusalem rejected and killed Christ and then piled up their judgment by continuing to kill his disciples, God destroyed it by the hand of the Romans. It happens in history, and then as Jesus would say, on the day of judgment as well. 
The well-being of men and nations depends on how they treat Jesus and his church, whether they receive and bless him or dishonor and reject him. And we'll see this pattern begin in the book of Genesis. And finally, God will bless, as he will bless the families of the earth through Abraham, it would be through the offspring of Abraham, through Jesus Christ. And that final phrase here is perhaps the most important one. Uh, Saves the best for last. Through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Galatians 3.8 calls it the gospel. Paul said, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Jesus would take away the curse, provide his righteousness to sinners, and send the Spirit upon them. He is the source of blessing to the nations, to Jew and Gentile, to the peoples of this earth. Through him, all the nations can be blessed and in time shall be blessed. Now, by extension, like all of these promises, it's true of Christ's disciples as well, to the extent that they make Christ known, that the gospel goes out through the work of his disciples. Uh, Jesus is called the light unto the nations in Luke 2. Then Paul in in Acts 13 or 14, he quotes Isaiah and says, God has commanded us to be a light unto the nations. You know, we bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. We make him known by word and deed. The light of Jesus Christ shines from the city of God and the nations shall walk in it, as Revelation shows us. So these are the promises of God that he gave to Abram, telling him to come along and follow him, to leave behind his, uh, the world and his idolatry and all that he depended upon. Uh, he uh, left these things so that he might inherit these promises. Now, The call to physically leave country and kindred does not apply to everyone. Not every believer is called to to pick up stakes and everyone has to move and reshuffle. But everyone is called to count all as loss to gain Christ, to put Christ above all, and to not let any human tie interfere with following the Lord. As Jesus said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. You must deny yourself and give up your life to the Lord Jesus. To trust him for your inheritance, for your salvation, resolving to follow him where he leads. Even if you don't know everything that that entails. Uh, that you trust him, and you trust him and his promises. So these promises that God gave Abram and his heirs can be summarized as four. Uh, We'll probably mention this a few times as we go through Genesis. Blessing, God promises to bless you, to have fellowship with you. God promises land uh, or inheritance. God promises offspring, and God promises uh, worldwide blessing, to make you a blessing. To the earth, to make Christ a blessing to the earth. Now, to conclude, let's look at the final verses here. How did Abram respond? 
He answered the call, and as Hebrews says, he did this by faith. He went out. Like Noah, he built altars to the Lord. Like Seth, he called upon the name of the Lord. And by faith, he would receive these promises. In chapter 15, we'll see they're confirmed to him in the form of a covenant. You and I also should answer God's call and walk in a manner worthy of his call. Should seek the kingdom and go on a spiritual pilgrimage, not one from one place to another on this earth, but one unto glory, unto the promise that awaits us in time, that we ought to be pilgrims uh, unto the city of God. You and I, like him, should take hold of God's promises and follow the Lord. And as Abram worshipped God in the midst of the Canaanites, may you and I worship the Lord and call upon his name in the midst of the world, knowing where we are headed. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we think or ask, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for your grace, which calls us out of darkness unto light, unto an inheritance with the saints. We pray that you would strengthen us in faith, that we might follow where you lead, that we might embrace your word by faith, and that we might act upon it. We pray that you would also fulfill your promises to make the church a great nation, uh, incorporating all the families of the earth, that they might be blessed through Jesus Christ. We pray that you would hasten the day of this fulfillment, that you would expand the kingdom of Jesus Christ, that you would indeed bring it to that ultimate fulfillment in the new heavens and the new earth, in which your name shall be great in all the earth. We pray that you would uh, accomplish these things, fulfill your promises, and to build up our faith in them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.